One of the industry's pioneering e-book publishers has announced she is stepping down as chairman and executive publisher of the company she co-founded. As she walks away, it's time to look back on e-books. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Every Friday, Andrew Albanese from Publishers Weekly joins me with a review of the week's publishing news. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, we have the word that Jane Friedman will exit Open Road. It certainly feels like that decision by her makes an interesting moment in ebook history. At least that's how you feel. Tell us more. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it really does feel like a moment uh, that says something about where we are in ebook history. And I'll tell you why I think that in a moment. But uh, first, let's just bid a proper farewell to Jane, who helped launch Open Road in 2009 uh, after leaving her position. The CEO of HarperCollins. Now, those of us who know Jane Friedman know that she brought with her to Open Road uh, a reputation for being an innovator, and especially when it comes to marketing. And in the early days of the ebook market, Jane really saw the potential of ebooks, and perhaps more importantly, how the big publishers at the time were not really capable of seizing the potential of ebooks. Uh, and one of the things Jane Friedman was always praised for was her ability to move the backlist, which of course is the key to any publisher's long term success. And with ebooks, she saw an especially ripe opportunity. So she focused Open Road on sort of picking off the digital rights uh, to some major literary figures' estates, starting with William Styron, uh, and offering them 50% royalties, essentially making publisher, ebook publisher, and the authors partners. Uh, it was a bold vision at the time, and she hired a great team to get the company off the ground. She had Brendan Cahill, who's now at Penguin Random House, as the editorial director, and of course, Rachel Cho was the marketing director, uh, and they certainly did make some noise at Open Road, at least for a while. Well, indeed they did. I remember that. There was a lot of noise, a lot of attention given to Open Road, and, and Jane and, and Rachel and Brendan made a number of appearances at, at a number of important uh, publishing events, and you remember all of that, too. So, so some seven years later, why do you think Jane Friedman has decided to pick up stakes and move on? Well, I think we have to point out that from the beginning, she was always shooting at a moving target, right? I mean, I remember I remember covering one of her first public Q&As about the company's launch. This was in December of 2009 at the Media Bistro eBook Summit. Now, just think about that for a second. The Media Bistro eBook Summit. Long gone, right? I mean, that is like far, far in the rearview mirror at this point. But I remember the crowd just being wrapped as she detailed her vision for Open Road. Of course, the linchpin being what she called an author-branded backlist, uh, including writers like Iris Murdoch and William Styron upon whom uh, the company was built. And she also touted what she called originals. You know, that even seems like a sort of an archaic term now. Uh, those were under the watch of editorial director Brendan Cahill at the time, and they were about 15 or 20 original ebooks. And now publishing original ebooks is, is very common. There were short films, and this was very much a part of Open Road's strategy at the beginning. Uh, and they were actually pretty good, some of these films. They were under the direction of her partner, uh, Jeffrey Sharp, and director Luke Parker Bowles. And among the various layers of the business was a plan to offer curated self-publishing. And then, of course, there was the price. She was going to charge about 14 bucks an ebook. So, you know, th this was all in December of 2009, and everyone was very interested in what she was doing. But in January of 2010, 
ta-da, the iPad comes along. Then agency pricing comes along. Then the Apple eBook case comes along. Uh, then there was this explosion in digital self-publishing and subscriptions and Amazon's Kindle Unlimited. And just, you understand where I'm going with this, the rapid change and the maturation of the eBook market, and including uh, the effect that it had on people's preferences, their reading habits, uh, print versus digital, etc. So I, I think it was, you know, definitely an interesting period to launch Open Road, but things sure started to change quickly. Well, and things changed and, and no one was in control, at least certainly uh, people like Jane Freeman, Brendan Cahill might have wished they could be, but uh, forces beyond their control. It just calls to mind an article in the New York Times this week about the way things changed uh, in the taxi industry in New York City in 2011, roughly the same time. Medallions were going for a million dollars and today, of course, at far less than a third of that price. So, so in a very short time, uh, the iPad, the iPhone, those devices you brought up earlier really have changed everything about our lives, not just ebooks. So with all of that in mind, where does this leave Open Road? Well, I think the writing was on the wall for Jane, who began stepping back her involvement with Open Road uh, last year when Paul Slavin, who joined Open Road in 2015, succeeded her as CEO. Uh, and in a statement, Slavin said Open Road remains dedicated to Jane's original vision, which is to preserve the legacies of great writers. And indeed, in January, Open Road acquired ebook rights to five books by Joan Didion, uh, six suspense thrillers by Joyce Carol Oates, and two novels by Philip Pullman. And an early January, Slavin said that 2016 had been a year of tremendous growth for Open Road, and he said that Open Road was off to a solid start for 2017. Uh, and Jane, of course, will remain on Open Road's board. But what's ahead for Open Road? It's really hard to say, honestly, especially given the declines we've seen in traditional ebook sales and the really increased competition for people's attention, a subject that we've spoken about quite a bit here uh, on this program. The company certainly appears to stable for now. But when it comes to ebooks, I think it's fair to say that the road has been far more winding than open over the last few years. So we'll see where that road takes us. Well, indeed. Well, in a moment, Andrew Albanese returns with who Barnes & Noble chief Len Riggio blames for declining book sales. The color orange is a good hint. I'm Chris Kennealy for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Chris Keneally for Beyond the Book, and Andrew Albanese, the Association of American Publishers, held its annual meeting this week in New York with keynote speaker Len Riggio of Barnes & Noble, offering an upbeat take on some downbeat news. Tell us more. Yeah, that's right. Len Riggio was the keynoter at the AAP annual meeting. He was actually on stage uh, with Penguin Random House CEO Marcus Dole. And you can read a full report about their uh, conversation in Monday's issue. And you know, I, you have to hand it to Len. Uh, he does have an ability to stay positive, uh, but his appearance does come after uh, a pretty disastrous third quarter for Barnes & Noble, uh, results for which were announced this week. Uh, and net income fell 12.5% from the comparable period a year ago. That's the third quarter 2016 versus 2015. Uh, and Barnes & Noble 
actually reduced its forecast for fiscal 2017, which of course uh, ends, I think, in April. Uh, the retailer now expects the full year fiscal comp store sales to decline by about 7%, and that's not a good number. But you know, I have to work in Trump into every podcast these days, it seems, and at some point, here it is, courtesy of Lynn Riggio, who blamed part of the poor results for Barnes & Noble on what he called a continued obsession uh, by the country and the media with the new Trump administration. And he said, while a business you know, picked up at the beginning of the new year, it fell again after the inauguration. No surprise there. Uh, and Riggio said he expects Americans will get back to their lives at some point and that things will probably level out. But he acknowledged that he didn't know when that would be. And I have to say, uh, given by recent events, it doesn't look like it's going to be very soon. So Barnes & Noble is counting on Donald Trump to stay quiet and buck up their business. They may be waiting quite a while. <laughs> I have a feeling you're right, counting on Donald Trump to stay quiet for long. Uh, no one should count on that. So uh, so Barnes & Noble recovery, not so very soon, but definitely very soon, is the London Book Fair. And you and I are both off to the United Kingdom at the end of this week, and we'll be there together for next week's podcast. That's right. And I'll just take this opportunity to remind listeners that Publishers Weekly will again be doing our show daily from the fair. And you can read them, whether you're, you're in London or here in the States, you can read them online on the PW website for free starting on Tuesday. Actually, I should say starting on Monday, we have a digital supplement that'll be going live on Monday morning. So you can check out all the action from London uh, starting next week. Well, we're certainly going to grab our copy on the show floor as we always do. And, you know, I, I thought about last year, just a year ago, actually less than a year ago, because this year London Book Fair is in March rather than April. And when we chatted uh, then, um, the word Brexit was a fairly new one to people's ears. And um, you had already spoken to several uh, UK, uh, s- several publishers rather, uh, for the UK and, and elsewhere. And, and they they were sort of not expecting anything to happen, but saying, sort of looking on the positive side that uh, if indeed it did, it wouldn't necessarily be bad for British publishers. It would weaken the pound and increase exports. Some of that actually has come true. Indeed, they were wrong. Brexit was voted in favor of, um, but they were right that um, the result would be a pound that was lower in value. That's certainly going to make it a much uh, easier place for you and I to enjoy ourselves next week. Uh, but it's a really going to be a chance to examine wh- where book publishers are going in a post-EU world for at least the UK. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I remember last year I was having dinner in London and Brexit came up and I was so unfamiliar with the term. I mean, I'd heard about this, the, the Brexit vote, but I didn't, I hadn't realized it was actually scheduled. Um, I don't know why I was, maybe I was blocking it out, but I just, I thought it was not even remotely in the realm of possibility. And I don't think I was alone. I think a lot of the people at the London Book Fair didn't think it was possible that Brexit would actually make it through. Well, it did. And not only that, we also have a President Trump, which I think people also thought was not even possible. And politics and the uncertainty of politics, I think, is going to be a pretty major topic at the fair this year for what what it's going to mean for people's businesses. Now, as you mentioned, it's not all bad. And some of the publishers I've spoken to have noted that it's not all bad. But there is a lot of uncertainty, especially over you know personnel and how they're going to staff houses and stuff if people can't come in and out of the EU. And of course, there's you know how Brexit is actually going to be implemented, uh, the trade deals that they need to 
strike are still far from done. So a lot of uncertainty uh, on both sides of the pond. I think that's going to be a pretty major topic of conversation at the fair this year. Well, you know it will. And indeed, uh, on Wednesday, March 15th at the Research and Scholarly Publishing Forum, uh, it's just been announced that uh, Kenneth Armstrong, professor of European law at the University of Cambridge, uh, who is also the author of Brexit Time, Leaving the EU, Why, How, and When. Um, he will be speaking as, as a keynote address for that particular forum, joining Copyright Clearance Center CEO Tracy Armstrong, who will be discussing the rise of the researchers on a panel with uh, a number of researchers turned publishers. So, again, Brexit very much on the minds of everyone at the London Book Fair. And Andrew Albanese, we will see you at Passport Control in Heathrow. In the meantime, thanks for joining me on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. At London Book Fair throughout the week of March 13th, Copyright Clearance Center will present a number of programs on publishing rights and technology, including the winning move for open access on Wednesday, March 15th. In 2016, our annual OA Community Forum heard why open access may be more about science than about publishing. Here's what Phil Jones of Digital Science told me then. I like to think of this as not just being about open access as, as opposed to a subscription business model, but also, but also open access is a part of the broader framework of open science, which is about enabling researchers to communicate much more of the work that they actually do um, on a daily basis and much more of their results, much more of their ideas, so that they can communicate and interact and collaborate much more effectively. A London Book Fair preview coming next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with subsidiaries RightsDirect in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 